If you don't have your Bible, the words to our sermon text, Titus 1, chapters five, ch- chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, excuse me, are provided for you in your bulletin that uh, hopefully you have a copy of in, in front of you. Would you pray with me as we prepare to begin? God, as we open your word, we ask for your mercy to show us the good gift of elders in the life of the church and to show us your good wisdom in how you have designed the church and how you lead the church and how you um, structure the church uh, for our spiritual good and for our growth as your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was Christmas Eve um, when I was probably, I don't know, eight, nine, ten years old, and I did what most children do on Christmas Eve, where I did not sleep very much, and I, I dozed off at one point, then I woke up uh, probably around 2 a.m., and so I scurried downstairs to try to figure out if, if, if gifts had been brought and, and, and what the surprises were, and I, I get down, and there's gifts laid out there. Um, uh, that were not there when I went to bed that night, and um, they they they're there. And I start to look through them, and I see, okay, I think this is this is one uh, that's for for me. This is one that 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 has my name on it. And so I look at it, and I realize that this gift is a large like um, racing helmet that you know you wear if you're driving a race car or something of that sort. And I thought to myself, what is this? My first thought, okay, keep in mind, it's like 2 a.m., and so I'm not thinking real clearly. My first thought is, do mom and dad want me to become some kind of sports, like, memorabilia collector? You know, that, 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 that maybe this was some famous, like, race car driver's helmet that he wore in some kind of race? I, I don't know, but I, it, it was very odd to me that I got a helmet. So I was kind of frustrated and disappointed, uh, not believing that I had been given the gifts that I wanted. So I got in bed, I, I went back upstairs, got in bed, and I laid there and I thought and I thought and I thought, there's got to be more to the story here. There's got to be more that helps explain what's going on. So I go back downstairs, I pick up the racing helmet again, and I look closer and I find a note that says, go to the garage. So I open the garage, I go, I go in the garage, and there is a new go-kart that was awaiting my brother and sister and I, that the helmet was for enjoying the go-kart. And that was one of the best Christmas gifts I ever got. But at first, I thought to myself, this just does not make sense. Maybe you've been in that boat before with a Christmas gift or a birthday gift or a Valentine's gift or somebody has given you something that it was very heartfelt, but you thought to yourself, hmm, I'm not quite sure about this one. Maybe you never told them that. Maybe that'd be a great conversation for some of you after church today. The most uh, underwhelming gifts you ever received from loved ones. Uh, Go ahead and break that news to them on this beautiful day. But if you think about the church, if you think about the church, and you said, I can give you a gift in the church, what would you ask for? Some of you probably have things that you would desire that the church would be or that the church would do or that the church would be better at or the church would pursue further. And, and, and you might have those things that are on your mind and some of them are more pressing and, and you think about, I really wish the church would be able to do blank. I bet not many of us on that list would have elders, would have fellow lay pastors, like we're talking about with Rick and Dave. And think, 
is this a gift for the church? And you might think, no offense, Rick or Dave, but you might think this is kind of like that gift that's like socks and a sweater that you get from Grandma. Okay, all right, okay, but what good is that for us as the church? Well, I think Titus 1, verses 5 through 9, helps us to understand that. So my hope is that in walking through this, we'll go from seeing elders maybe like socks and sweaters to more towards like the go-kart that helps us to grow and to thrive and enjoy our life together as a church. Follow along as I read from Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. The Apostle Paul, writing to his young protege in the ministry, Titus, he writes, This is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. What I want us to see here in Titus chapter 1 is that elders are given to the church for our good. Therefore, we must be vigilant in appointing them or affirming them And we must be diligent in submitting to them. Let me say that again. Elders are given to us, the church, for our good. Therefore, we must be vigilant in appointing them and diligent in submitting to them. We're going to see this as we walk through this passage. We're going to see how elders are used to strengthen the church, to set an example for the church, and in some ways, and then to safeguard the church. So strengthen, set an example, and safeguard. Okay? So first, elders are given to the church to strengthen the church. So Paul writes in verse 5, this is why I left you in Crete. If you were not with us last week, uh, just by way of catching up very quickly, the Apostle Paul who had planted, who had started a number of churches on the island of Cretan in the Mediterranean, he's writing to his young protege uh, Titus, who he has left there to help to, 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 to build up these churches that have been planted, to help them to go from... From, from birth to maturity. They are newborns, and now Titus is going to try to help them to grow up. He's going to try to get them to eat the right vegetables, to, to, to sleep well, to, to, to be healthy, to grow into the maturity that they must have as churches. And so Paul writes, this is why I left you, so that you might put what remained into order. And so he, he's saying, okay, so there's this, this these, these kind of messiness in the church. There's this, this young... Um, 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 still figuring things out, still sorting things out as a church. And Paul says, you're going to put this into order. And so now this is kind of some of the ways in which we are as a church, where we as a replant, we've been going now for about two years, but over a year of that has been uh, COVID. And and so we're we're still in this kind of early infant stages in, in some capacities. And so now we, how do we come together and start to put these things into order? We are the children who are giving uh, uh, Santa Claus that wish list, and we are saying to ourselves, okay, here's what I want. And now Paul says, well, forget what you want. Here's what you need. You need elders. 
Elders are a means. They're not the only means, but they are a means by which God builds up the church. So this word, this language of, of, of helping to put in order is actually quite uncommon throughout your Bibles, this, this word in the original Greek that Paul gives. And, and what it's, what it, it's kind of similar to, to words in which we, in our day and age, get the idea of like orthopedics or, 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 or um, uh, braces and things like that that help to put in order various body parts of ours. I remember I had braces as a child that helped to put my teeth into order, that they may be healthy, that they may function appropriately. I thought of the movie this week, I thought of the movie Forrest Gump. You remember young Forrest running around in the, uh, as a young boy, running around in the little leg braces where he couldn't bend his legs, and then eventually he breaks out of those braces and he becomes this, uh, this, this incredibly fast man, and, and, and Forrest running uh, all over the place is, is, is one of the themes throughout the movie. Elders are those braces that help us to grow in a healthy manner that we as a church might run. That is what Paul is saying to us. Now, let, let's seek to understand what elders are. Here, so that's a little of the structure, how they help us to run. Now, they, they help to build that structure because elders, that, that term might sound odd to you. Is, is it people who are older? Is it those who are, give a certain financial amount? Is it those who have a certain amount of biblical knowledge? Is it those who maybe have just uh, waited their turn, who have, who, have, uh, who, have, who have paid their dues? Well, no, that's not how we identify an elder. Well, first of all, what an elder is, is an elder, j- just think of a pastor. So I am an elder in First Baptist Church. I am currently our only elder, and I'm a vocational pastor. Those two are the same. So in, in Paul writing to Titus, he uses language like overseer. Uh, other places, he, he, he uses the word elder or pastor, and these are, these are largely interchangeable. And so what we are working to do as a church is to raise up elders that can join me in the work of shepherding our church family. So in one sense, we will go from one pastor to three. Now, Rick and Dave will not be coming on staff as our church. I will still be our vocational pastor but they will help to carry the load in shepherding our church family. And so they are good gifts from God that are given to us for our care as the people of God, for our healthy growth. Just one example of this. One example I heard a couple of weeks ago of a uh, member of ours in our church family who was having a particularly difficult uh, day or a particularly difficult weekend and Dave just happened to stop this member and just say, hey, how's it going today? And this, this person, Dave could see very quickly that they were having a rough go of it. So Dave spoke some words of comfort to him. And, and then uh, I think he uh, called this person a little later that day and offered to pray with them and just sought to be a means of encouragement to this church member of ours who was having a hard time. I had no idea any of this was going on. I was busy doing 800 other things on a Sunday morning. But Dave helped to build up to, in, in the structure of the church, he helped to care for this member who was in distress. So Rick and Dave are, in a sense, going to help to build up our church body should our church body vote to bring them on as elders. One thing you've noticed this morning 
is that uh, we've had a few tech issues. We, we're working out some, some kinks in the system as we're back outside for the first time today uh, in a number of months. And I don't have my normal wireless microphone, so I can't like walk around or you won't hear me. So I got to stay right in front of this microphone. Uh, and so I got a phone call from Roy, who's done a fantastic job with all of our sound and everything. I got a phone call from him at about 8 a.m. this morning saying, hey, uh, where's your wireless microphone from last summer? Because the ones that we use inside, it's a different system. It can't cross over and everything. And I said, I have no idea. And it dawned on us that most likely uh, it was taken off at the end of the outdoor services last year. And uh, it was put down and probably put somewhere for safekeeping for the time when we ine would inevitably come back outside. However, who put, whoever put it down and put it aside for safekeeping lost it. And the sad thing is, is that whoever was probably the last person that was wearing the microphone, which was me. I only say that to say, to illustrate for you, that that, that is, that is, a, that is a, a very basic, very uh, simple illustration. Dave and Rick are not going to help to find microphones. But what they will do is they will help to add a plurality of leadership in which God has designed for the church. Because pastors, whether they're vocational or whether they're lay elders, they have their shortcomings. They have their weaknesses. They have the things they overlook. They have the things that they can't, uh, that they can't fully grasp. They have the things where they would benefit from a, from a plurality of voices. I look forward to that as a pastor. I look forward to the shared wisdom, seeking uh, God's word, and building up the church body. And so God gives elders to the church to strengthen them. But now the question is, well, how do I identify an elder? Titus may have asked that. Titus may have heard Paul say, hey, you need elders. But then Titus says, well, okay, well, okay, they help shepherd. They help uh, uh, to, to, to raise the body up in trusting in the Lord and in accord with his word. But how do I find them? Well, Paul gives uh, instructions here. Listen to him here. I'm going to read verse 5 and following for the sake of us understanding where he's going. He said, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And then he says, Okay, here's your qualifications. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers, and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. It is as if Paul is giving to Titus a, a, a uh, job posting. And here's the qualifications of what you look for in an elder. Now, you might read some of these, and I read some of these and think, whoa. I remember when I was wrestling with entering into pastoral ministry, and I read... Um, I read some of these uh, uh, a few times, and, and Paul just kept, keeps hammering at above reproach, above reproach, above reproach. Does, is, is his name thought of well by those both in the church and those outside the church? Not is he popular, but is his name thought of well? Or is it more of an attitude where, okay, you get Bill, one, one, one Bill in church on Sunday mornings, but then you get the other Bill, the more bulldog, the more tenacious, the more cutthroat, the more chew you up, spit you out guy during the rest of the week. Paul says there's no such line. Paul says who you are on Sunday must match who you are the rest of the week. But let's walk through these. I, I, I want to break these down by looking at these in, in a sense in, in how we seek to identify elders by their long-term track record 
and their visible character. So their long-term track record, those, these are the first ones we see in verse 6. Above reproach, the husband of one wife, children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. So this gives a picture of an elder who is um, uh, uh, who, who, who has a lifetime, not a lifetime, but, but a, a visible record based in his home, first of all, of faithfulness to God and of faithfulness with his family. As the home, as the foundational, as the core place in which this man operates, there must be a, 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 a understanding of righteousness there where his wife and his children would not say he's perfect, but also would not say, oh, no, that's not the dad you know. That's not the husband you know. Paul lays these out for us. I've had conversations with both Rick and Dave, and we've discussed things relating to family life, and we've discussed things relating to spouses, and I've interacted with uh, uh, their spouses, and, and we've talked about you know, things that, 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 are, uh, that are expected, that, are, that, that God's Word lays out for elders, and, and, and these are things that we take seriously. And so I encourage you, before we vote uh, to affirm elders at next Sunday's members meeting, if as we walk through these, if there are things that you see about either of these men that you say, I'm not sure about this, would you please approach me? This isn't something that we just smooth over and get, get past in order to get the men uh, appointed. No, Paul lays out character qualifications for those who would serve his church. Now, it's interesting. I, I'm sure some of you have noticed that the qualifications that Paul lays out here, he talks about husband of one wife and his children, and he talks about this as if it is a man. And so you might say, okay, um, is this something that was just more dated in Paul's day when, when men had more leadership in society and women played a bit of a different role, but in a more uh, egalitarian society of our day and age? Like, like, is this something that is one of those things that we should leave in the past, or, or how do we approach this? Well, I believe that God's Word lays out for us, not only in Titus, but elsewhere in Scripture, in both Old Testament and New Testament, how God has strangely yet wonderfully designed both the home and the church and, and to operate in a manner in which men have this role of spiritual leadership. This does not mean that men are spiritually superior over women in the church. This does not mean that any man has, a, has an authority over any woman in our church. I think it just simply means that elders or pastors, the office is one that is set apart for men. God has designed us in a complementary nature in which men and women both created in the image of God. There are ways in which men image God, and there are ways in which women image God in, in, in manners in which one another does not. And those complementary come together both in the home, in the marriage, in the church in order to, to, to glorify God and in order to, to testify in his goodness and his wisdom and the gift of, to his church that this is. And so it's entirely possible. In fact, it's, it's highly likely that this might cause a bit of a rub for some of you. This might cause, ah, Stephen, that does not sit well with me. Is this what Christianity is? Maybe, or, or is this what more conservative Christianity is? I am not sure what I think about that. May I encourage you that those are good questions to ask? And in fact, as a people, as a church, we ought to be a people who don't turn away from questions 
or who don't avoid questions. But if we say that we trust God's word, and if we say that we believe God's word is truly authoritative over us and that we are willing to submit under it, and we believe that it is given to us for our good, as we read in Deuteronomy chapter 8, as Zach read, uh, uh, the, uh, the word is given to us that we may live, then it must be able to withstand scrutiny. And it must be able to withstand questions. So if you read this or if you hear this and say, okay, Stephen, I'm not sure about this. That sounds like vestiges of a day of old when we are in a better day and age or we are in a more equal day and age. And and I, I think I object to this. I would say to you, good. I would say to you, in fact, let's examine this further. You're not going to hear from me. Okay, just ignore it, dismiss it, move on, focus on, on this. But no, let's, let's engage on it. If you have questions about gender roles, men and women in the church, and, in, and how God has created us, and just a whole host of issues there, would you? I'd love to speak with you about that. I'd love to begin a dialogue with you on it. So reach out to me if that be the case. Even grab me after the service. Say, hey, I'd like to learn more on this. Let's discuss it. I would be honored to do so with you. But Paul says that he must have a pattern of his life that matches a God-glorifying nature. Now you see there's some of these that are interesting. Husband of one wife. Okay, he's faithful to his wife. And then the one where it talks about his children. They must be believers and they must be open. They must not be open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. What do we make of this? What I think Paul is developing here is a picture where the man in his home is shepherding in a manner in which glorifies God. This is where we have to be careful in our understanding and our seeking to grasp what God's word is saying. Because otherwise, if Paul is saying that it, he must be a husband of, of one wife, or therefore implying he must be married and he must have children, then Jesus himself would be disqualified from being an elder in the church. So I don't think that's what Paul is getting at. And those who have children who have not yet come to faith... They would be disqualified. I would be disqualified because my son is not yet a Christian. So we have to say, okay, is, 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 is what Paul is laying out here for these elders, for these pastors, one in which they, they are seeking to lead their home in accord with how the church ought to be led as well, in a manner which trusts God, which in a manner which submits before God, and in a manner which relies upon him. So that is kind of a lifetime pattern or, or, or a life example. But now let's look at their visible character in verses 7 and 8. Their visible character, you, you look at verse 7, and it talks about things that are negatives. And then verse 8, it switches it to positives. Verse 7, it lays out, an overseer is God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. But he must be hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Remember how we're walking through this and we're seeing how God gives elders for the structure, for the building up of the church as those braces that help her grow healthy. But he also gives elders to the church as an example. And here's what I'm getting at. None of these qualifications here in verses 7 and 8 are things which elders are specifically or distinctly called from that Christians are not called to. There's nowhere in the Bible where it says, hey, elders, you have to be Uh, you can't be drunkards or you can't be violent or you can't be greedy, but all the rest of you church members that aren't elders, feel free to be drunkards, feel free to be violent, feel free to be greedy for gain. 
No, in one sense, God gives elders to the church as an example to the church that they may help them to follow, that they may help them to lead, that they may lead them in obedience to God. In fact, if you were to look at the qualifications for elders in Titus and in 1 Timothy, the only one that is different from the, the church member or the Christian that you'd say, okay, maybe that's a unique one that is applied to an elder, is in 1 Timothy, it's described that an elder must be able to teach, must be able to teach God's word, must be able to shepherd the church family in the word of God. And that's one that we would not hold up for every church member, but it is one that we would expect of elders. You know, one thing that we have benefited from over the last two weeks, as we've heard both Dave and Rick's testimonies, is that we have heard ways in which God worked in their lives and they would not have signed up for it. I imagine going into that work project that Rick described for us this morning, he, going into that project, if we could rewind, jump in a time machine and jump back to, back to 1992 and you ask Rick, hey, what do you say this goes, this goes poorly and you get embarrassed in it and you have to take a, a, a bit of a demotion in it and, and the project that you put so much blood, sweat and tears into falls apart. Would you like that? Rick would say, no, 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 no. Dave shared in his testimony a time, I believe it was from the late 80s, where he had one course of plan for his life laid out, and yet he, he suffered an injury, and that derailed that course of life, and he was angry with God, and that had to turn, and he had to start to reorient and refocus eventually life in another direction. One good thing about elders is that they have experience of experiencing the disciplining hand of God, God changing the course of their life. God, God saying, I'm going to withhold this thing that you really want in order to give you something far better, namely deeper trust in myself and a greater experience of my goodness to you. But it's going to be painful in the moment. I think that both Rick and Dave and hopefully myself are better suited to shepherd, to elder, to pastor this church family because we come to the table with experiences in which God's hand was difficult upon us so that we may be able to walk alongside those in our church family who are maybe walking through such a season even right now. So God gives us elders to strengthen the church, to set an example for the church, and now he, we see lastly he gives elders as a means of safeguarding the heart of the church as a means of safeguarding the heart of the church. Look at verses 9, or verse 9. So moving on from these personality, these character makeup, to what he must do. In verse 9 it says, He must hold, fat, hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also be able to rebuke those who contradict it. So remember, Titus is in Crete. And in Crete, there's a lot of discussion, debate, dialogue, confusion about what the church ought to be about. And so Paul has left Titus there and he's like, raise up elders that can help you to defend the gospel. Can help you plant your flag on God's word as given to you. And that you can shepherd the church in accord with his word that they may grow in it. And that is what elders seek to do elders using this language of a shepherd they're out with the sheep they guard the sheep they warn the sheep from false teaching that could lead their soul astray they seek to nourish and feed sheep in good truth of god's word 
that the sheep may be fed, nourished, grown, protected from wolves that would seek their destruction and their harm. And so this is what you would be calling, church family, our brothers Dave and Rick, too. To be men who help to build this young church family in accord with God's word. And to do so simply by loving on you, by shepherding you, by encouraging you in the faith. By having difficult conversations with us when necessary. By having difficult conversations with me when necessary. One thing that Dave and Rick and I have talked about repeatedly would be the need for us in humility to be willing to, uh, 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 to, to hold each other accountable as needed. To help each other and spur one another towards growth in the faith as we would do for the church body. Because we need one another just as the church body needs elders. Because as Rick shared with us a few moments ago, none of us have arrived. We're just receiving a couple more elders to help us in the journey. And you know, brothers and sisters, one thing about elders leading the church and shepherding the church is that they can never replace the good shepherd. We are simply under shepherds. We could look at this list and we could look at these things and if we see character patterns that we say, okay, this disqualifies or this causes us to press pause, then we need to acknowledge those. But other times we look at the list and we say, okay, there are, there are many times in which I have been uh, uh, fallen short of these qualifications. But that's where we point to Christ. Where Rick, who would share that at one time he was greedy for gain, and yet Christ showed him that he needed to be greedy for him. He needed to not yearn for more money or more success, but yearn for more Christ. And so maybe you're in the position today where you are here for some reason and you, you, you have things in your life that you have sought to, 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 to help you to, to navigate and to, to, to make your way through life in, in which you, you found yourself that you, you look at these lists or you look at these qualifications, you say, okay, there are ways in which this convicts my heart. There are ways in which this confronts my heart. There are ways in which if this is the example, I am falling short. May I encourage you, you don't look to Stephen. You don't look to Rick. You don't look to Dave. You don't look to any of our elders. May we encourage you to look to Christ. As we would be encouraging this church family to look to Christ. And holding Christ up as our great reward. Christ as our great high priest. Christ as the one who greatly rules over and reigns over his church. Christ is the one who died for our sins. Christ is the one who is resurrected. Christ is the one who is returning for this church. Christ is the one who, if he was here, we would not need such lay elders and pastor like myself. But Christ is not here. But his spirit is. And his spirit promises to build his church through his word, by his design, as we are seeing in Titus. So let us entrust ourselves to Christ and his word and his spirit's work within us. And let us set our hearts upon him. And let us as a church trust that even though this might not be the gift that we would sign up for with all the things that we would ask Christ for, to know that this is the gift that he gives us and to submit ourselves under his rule. Let's pray together. God, you give elders to serve for the church's spiritual good. Therefore, help us to be vigilant in appointing them. Help us to care about these qualifications that you have laid out. And help us to be vigilant in these. And then help us as your church to be diligent in submitting 
under the, under the leadership of elders that you give us. Recognizing that elders help to steer the wheel of the church, but ultimately the church membership, the church body, are the ones who control the gas pedal and the brake. And so, Lord, we acknowledge the good gift of elders, and we thank you for your mercy to our church family. And we pray that you would help us to ultimately entrust this church to Christ, the good shepherd who reigns over his people. And we pray this all in his name. Amen.